Shareable is part of C-Suite Radio. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this either is or will become your favorite podcast. This is Shareable, the podcast so good, you got to tell someone about it. I'm your host, Jeff Gibbard. In every episode, I talk with someone about the impact that people and technology have had on their career and their lives. So, let's get to it. Today, I got to speak with Dr. James Kelly. He's the host of Executives After Hours on the C-Suite Radio Network. He's a damn good host, and I was recently on his show. I like talking to him so much, I decided to bring him onto my show. He is currently over in the Middle East in the UAE, where he's an assistant professor of marketing at United Arab Emirates University, and he's also the CEO of Brave Endurance, which is a well-being consultancy that was started in Philadelphia and then recently moved over to the Middle East. So I hope you like this episode. I really enjoyed talking with James, and I think you'll enjoy listening to me talk to James. This episode, it's really shareable. So here we are. I have you on the line, and we're about to have a really shareable conversation, aren't we? Mr. Kelly, or should I call you sir? Who are you and what do you do? Uh, well, thank you, first of all, for having me on the show. I could not be any more excited about being here. And, uh, you know, I'm always honored to be a guest on anyone's show. So what I do uh, is always a question of debate. So um, my, my primary job is I'm actually a marketing professor in the Middle East. So I moved from Philadelphia in August to a university called United Arab Emirates University just outside Dubai. So that is my primary job that pays the bills, but I probably spend my least amount of time on that job. And I spend the most of my time actually podcasting and working with companies around corporate health and wellness. Wow. So it's snowing here. Do you miss it? So ironically, it did snow, not in my city, but it snowed in the UAE earlier this year. That's so, kind of weird. I feel like that's not a thing that happens. It doesn't happen often. In fact, this is a true story. So uh, my wife teaches a spinning class at a local gym. And she got done with class last night. And this guy and her were talking. I was watching the four kids on the side. And, and a guy and her were talking. And she's like, you would not believe what this guy does for a living. I was like, what is that? And he's from South Africa. And he goes, he seeds the clouds. He's on call 24 hours a day. And when they want him, he jumps in an airplane and he flies up into the stratosphere and he drops chemicals into the air to seed the clouds to create rain. Wow. Crazy, so the, right? The chemtrail people are right. It's mind control, man. It is totally. <laughs> so when it rains here, I'm always like, it's not actual rain. It's just complete manufactured. Oh. But it's all right. No, 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 sweetie. Don't, don't try and drink the raindrops. It's bleach. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I had always wondered why my clothes kept turning white afterwards. It was kind of strange, but now it's, it makes more sense. It's very, very strange. Very strange indeed. Well, um, I want to ask you a few questions to kind of set the stage before we dive into um, what the show is about, which is people and technology. And it's important for me to know how you use technology. So for one, I know you being over in the Middle East, you're, you have access to a slightly different set of uh, technologies and tools and and around the world they use social media and the internet and email very differently so you know it would be 
curious to hear a little bit as you answer these questions about what it's like to use technology overseas. But um, I guess the, the first questions I like to get into is just to get a sense of how you use technology. So my first question would be about whether or not you're an early adopter or a late adopter. How would you say that you approach new technologies? You jump right in or do you kind of wait and see uh, or are you kind of like on the tail end? Oh, I'm, I'm definitely early. Now, I wouldn't say I'm innovator in the process. I'm not the guy who waits in line overnight, but I am the guy who after the line clears, I'll jump in and grab something. All right, awesome. So, so you're totally willing to get on board like pretty early and, and deal with the bugs and the kinks. Yeah, I don't care. Like, right. listen, I, I, I just like the shiny new thing. All right, awesome. On a scale of one to 10, what would you rate your technology usage? Do you think you're like digitally fluent and practically cyborg at a 10 or are you kind of like, eh? Well, I feel like that's a tough question because you have to categorize it, right? So Exactly. In what, in what, that's kind of the fun of it. What, but like in what means? Like, am I socially fluent in social media and web design and, and what today I, I create an app for my Apple TV on Xcode, whatever it's called. So does that make me, I think that, know, that puts fluid? you squarely in, in geek. Um, I, I kind of look at it as like the overall average of a person, right? So that's yeah. how I, that's how I take that question. I think of myself, so probably, you know, further along than most. So I kind of compare myself to the median person. So I probably would say I'm between a six and a seven. Okay. Because I can use it all, but the, always the question I come back to is, do I use it right and efficiently? Okay, cool. So you're, you're a uh, thoughtful technologist. I like that. Um, if you yeah. were to, to go online and go to your first instinct of what to do, are you more likely to create content, curate content and share it, uh, comment on other people's stuff, uh, but, but otherwise be you know not a creator, uh, or just kind of quietly watch as a spectator? So of those four, which would you most likely do? So I think what you're going to figure out pretty quick about me is that it's a just depends type of guy. So and not depends that you put on when you have bladder conditions, but like literally it just depends what the situation is. That was probably a bad joke, by the way. Um, but but like um, so when I'm doing things like Twitter or Facebook, I probably curate content more than I do create my own content. But on Instagram, I create everything I do. So it's very specific. I, I find in LinkedIn, I create all my own stuff as well. I, I'm finding that social media um, is so relevant. And I had this conversation with someone just last week about it's no longer the introductory stage in terms of product lifecycle. It's, it it's, it's maturing. It's not mature, but it's maturing. And now it's accepted. And so what I'm finding is that there's so much noise out there in Twitter and in Facebook that I kind of don't waste my time trying to be unique in that space. I'd rather spend my energy in different areas that I think has a bigger impact. So for me in this area of the world, Instagram is king and Snapchat both, which I haven't really got into Snapchat yet, but Instagram is king. So I spend a lot of time and resources cur curating my own content. I tend to do ebb and flows, but between four and six inspirational quotes a week that I create from a photo that I see I write the content myself um, and then I, yeah, so that's, that's kind of my primary thing. And then I do blogs on LinkedIn as well. Not as often as I would like, but I, I do blogs there as well. So I read that as that you are a creator because you have inside of you the desire to create your own thing. You're just discerning about where you do it. That's fair. That's fair. 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 Yeah. Cause I mean, I think yeah, the fact that I you also... blog, you have a podcast that you create your own stuff on Instagram, including using your own picture and then coming up with your own quote about it, that, that says to me that you're a creator archetype. 
But you know what I always struggle with, and maybe you, you know, you might have a take on this, is I always wonder how the hell it is that certain people's stuff just takes off and other people's stuff that just was really quite good gets no traction whatsoever. It's, yeah. it's almost like, you know, I, I struggle with that. Like I struggle. There's people I know who have, and I don't know if they paid for the followers or not. I mean, that's always now kind of the next thing I always ask. But I'm like, why does that person have 10,000 followers and they're producing crap? Like, how does that happen? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that that's a big, long, wonderful discussion we could definitely have. But I think partly it's it's <laughs> timing, partly it's, you know, yeah, it's really like right time, right place. But you know it, what kind of runs through my head a lot? I, I recently watched this video of some of these prosperity preachers that we have here in the United States of, you know, these, these mega churches where they're, they're flying around in private jets and the, you know, the, yeah. the, the preacher. <laughs> and I was watching this video about them and they were, they were just spouting off nonsense in this YouTube video about why it was totally justified in God's uh, eyes for them to have a jet and all this stuff. And people can believe whatever they want. But to me, that just seems like preying on weak people. And I use that as a parallel to say that I think in specifically in the social media industry, that I don't think that it's necessarily the most um, innovative and unique content that wins. I think that it's sometimes appealing to the lowest common denominator that wins. Sh- you know, saying mm-hmm. 2007, 2008 social media advice about connecting and relationships, and it's all about the conversation, that stuff sells. And actual tactical in the weeds about, you know, how to leverage content marketing in a B2B sales channel is much more boring. So I think that the more surface level stuff gets more attention because it's easier to reshare. It's easier to not disprove. It's easier to, you know, not challenge because it's not really disprovable. They're like horoscopes. Yeah. I, I, all right. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. I still don't like it though. Oh, I, I absolutely hate <laughs> it. I, I build my entire business around the idea that there's a business value to social media and you have to be strategic about how you do it and how you deploy your time and resources. And, you know, I watch complete charlatans uh gather you know giant followings around things that have absolutely no actionable value but it's a conversation for another time neither here sorry yeah yeah it's 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 a super interesting conversation it's one that i think you you and i have uh spoken before on your podcast i think what you and i have uh um, already proven is that we could talk for hours about things yeah (laughs) so that'll be another show but for this one i want to talk to you about some experiences you've had in your life one more question though are you an iphone or an android I'm iPhone. Okay, cool. Good. Um, just curious. Um, so the the question I want to get from you right now, where I want you to dig deep and think about a particular thing is, how has technology changed your life? And what I mean by that is not just like some sort of um, kind of vapid empty, like, you know, having an iPhone is amazing, but really like thinking about your life as as a timeline and thinking about how at a certain point technology or a technology or a variety of different technologies were introduced to you and alter the trajectory of your life by opening up an opportunity or closing off something else. Do you can, is software programs or platforms or websites count as having huge impact? Yeah, absolutely. Like that somebody who discovers eBay and, and learns how to make a tremendous amount of money and that giving them a launch pad, that, that would be like an example of like that changed my life. So I'm always fascinated okay. by the, the, the kind of inflection points in people's lives that, that create a splintering of where their life could have gone and the the technology being that thing that causes the splinter. So I'm curious about what that was in your life. So for me, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, a production of four kids later. So I met my wife via online. It's a longer story. 
Um, but I originally met her eight years prior. We reconnected, not knowing each other, not remembering we knew each other. And about six weeks in, an airplane trip purchased from Australia to St. Louis later, we realized that we had met eight years prior, but I would never have reconnected with her if it wasn't for social media and online. Can you talk more about how that happened? Like, so, so, (laughs) so you you can't just leave it. Like you can't just drop it and be like, boom, mic drop. That's how it happened. But, um, Uh, you know, you're you're talking about literally across the globe, the, the other side of the globe, number one and number two, an eight year swing. So there was a point and the technology in that eight years must've changed drastically. So talk to me about what exactly that looked like. So, so basically what happened, I mean, I'll try to be as, as keep it to, to as much as, a, 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 you know, as parsimonious as possible, but this is a long effing story. So, uh, but I'll give you the condensed version. So the short of it is that, um, in 2006, I had moved to Australia to, to go after my PhD. And while I was there, I started, started before I, I moved there, I was living in Portland, Oregon, and I had just come back living from uh, Japan. So I lived in Japan for a year came back to Portland, Oregon, and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. And I decided at that time I was going to go and get my PhD, but I wanted to go live abroad. So in the meantime, I had signed up for an online dating platform and started doing that. And every girl's like, ah, you're leaving, forget it, blah, blah, blah. So I left, went to Australia. And what's fantastic and what's miserable about those sites is that for anyone who's done online dating, which I think a lot more people do it than they actually want to admit to, is that they also do an automatic withdrawal from your account every month. And so it was it was Easter 2006, Easter 2006. And I got a message saying, here's your most recent matches. And I thought, F, I need to cancel this. You know, it's another 20 bucks a month. So I go to I go to cancel it and I see these three girls and one of them happens to be dressed very athletically. And I was like, hey, I'm sure you're wondering why there's an American emailing you from Australia. I'm getting my PhD. I do, I do triathlons as well. Best of luck to you. I'm, I'm getting rid of this account. She emails me back and basically says, why would I be interested in a guy like you? So caveat is that this is actually a Catholic dating site, which adds to the kind of the irony and hysterical of this whole entire thing. But, um, and so anyhow, so she, she's like, why would I be interested in a guy like you? And so I kind of like, what the F? And I kind of snapped a little bit and I wrote this very terse email and was like, how dare you be judgmental? And this is why I hate Catholicism. And I think it's BS and blah, 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 blah. And she goes, I really appreciate your response. So <laughs> speeding up a little, speeding up a little bit here. We started talking every day and every night for two hours in the morning, two hours a night, because we were literally flipped in time. And so four weeks in, I bought plane ticket to go fly out and see her to St. Louis because we both just kind of thought I was 31 and she was 30. If this is gonna work, we should see each other and figure it out. So Flew, so I bought a ticket and I was telling a story about when I flew from Japan to Cincinnati to, to visit a friend of mine named Gus. And she kind of goes, Gus? And I was like, yeah, why? And she's like, Gus from Dayton? And I was like, yeah. She's like, did you come to Notre Dame in 1998 and play water polo? And I was like, nope, I was done. I played water polo in college. I was like, I'm done. I'm out. No more. And she's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, why? And she's like, well, I met a guy there and we went out on a date two weeks later on Easter, Easter weekend. And I said, who was the guy? You know, and I lived with all the water polo guys. I'm like, is it this guy and that guy and this guy? And she's like, no, no, no. He drove a Ford. I'm like, we're in the Midwest. Who doesn't drive a Ford, right? So <laughs> how could you narrow that down for me? 
She's like, all right. So we went on and on and on. It's probably like 30 minutes of me naming every guy. She's like, are you sure it wasn't you? Are you positive? I'm like, yes. So I get on the bus and I go home and she's like, it's like two in the morning. She's like, I got to go to bed. And I get a text from her. And, and even then, text worked internationally, by the way, in 2006. There was no WhatsApp at that point. And um, I just sounded really old. And she said, um, hey, check your email. So I run home, grab my laptop, run to the internet cafe, open it up. And the tagline was mystery solved. And as I scrolled down, it was a picture of me with my arm around her in 1998 at Notre Dame. And I was the guy she met. And I was the guy she went out with what? two weeks later during Easter. And we didn't get along at all. <laughs> Wow. Okay. What, dude? How bad is your memory that you were like, ah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, let me comment on that. Yeah. Let me comment on that because my, I said that to my mom, and I said, "Mom, I cannot believe." And I can tell you, I can tell you why there was a disconnect. Also, in a second, but I said, "Mom, I cannot believe I don't remember her." My mom's comment was hilarious. She was like, "I am not surprised. You drank an awful lot at that time in your life." <laughs> Fair. So you just you just kind of browned out about that date. Well, what happened was, and why we never made the connection is that um, prior to moving to Australia, everyone called me Jim. And then when I moved to Australia, no one no one there would call me Jim. They all called me James because I was going to be a professor and have a PhD. Well, so Jim isn't really a Jim, proper name. James is really how you should be called. Your birth name. Yes, that was the worst Australian accent ever. I just want you to know that. Thanks. Um, but- <laughs> <laughs> Takes me a little while to get into it's- it usually. Sorry. Yeah. Apologies to any Australian uh, listeners. Uh, so anyhow, so from 2006, I just went by James. And so when I reintroduced myself to her, it was James, not Jim. And and I had hair when we first met and I was bald at this point eight years later. So there was just these disconnects that just didn't quite match the story together. It was quite entertaining. So so that's how the Internet and the and technology drastically changed my life through online dating sites. That's fantastic. Did I tell you when we chatted earlier that I have uh, one of my side gigs is I have an online dating consultancy? And that my girlfriend no. and I met on online dating. That's again, that's a story for another time. But that so so you come across this girl online. You have all the different ways of technology to get back to her. But the thing that really failed you was that your your onboard memory of your own brain that technology yeah. failed you. So it's fair, miserably. All right, all right. fair miserably. point. Fair point. So that's how technology shifted your life. It brought you back to the the woman you're supposed to marry. That four kids. So that's how technology yeah. has has brought you along a certain path. Now I want to shift gears from yeah. technology. I want to talk to you about some people in your life. So um, I know you've listened to the show. I know we've talked about the show and you've, you've even heard some of the other guests, but I'm fascinated by the impact of people and technology on our lives. And I think there's these points in our life where technology comes in and, and opens up an opportunity closes. And then there's those people who say something at the right time, at the right place. Maybe they inspire us to go a certain way. But they ultimately shape our perspective either by the way that we've interacted with them or, or watching them as an example. Who in your life would you say has been one of the most influential in shaping how your life has gone, your perspective and how you approach problems or really anything else? Who's somebody that you look to and you say, this has been one of the most impactful people in my life? So, you know, I was thinking about that after listening to a couple of your other podcasts and you know, for me, it's very clear. It's, it's a surrogate family that I was, that I grew up with from probably eight until 14, 15. I would just spend every day there in the summer. Uh, they're, they're the Guzmans. Um, and they, 
they taught me manners, courtesy, kindness. And not that my parents didn't do that, but they, they shaped who I am now. And without them, in some aspects, I would not be who I am today. I think beyond them, you know, unfortunately, I would say in my life, I've, I've put myself on an island quite often to sort things out of my own. But if I was to dig deeper, I mean, obviously my kids at this point and my wife have a huge impact on all the choices that I make. But from a mentor standpoint, you know, the other person that's probably had a significant impact in my life is my best friend that I met in 2003 and living in Japan. I mean, him and I to this day still talk, you know, if it's not once a month, it's once every couple of weeks. And we're sounding boards off each other. He's in technology. So we talk about what's going on in technology. And um, he, he, I have so much respect and admiration for who he is as a person that, um, that he also has a massive impact in some of the choices that I make. Cool. I want to actually turn back around and go back to the surrogate family. Because what's really fascinating to me about this is um, – I think when, when I've asked people in my life, before I ever had this show, when I would talk to people about this, I got a lot of the same kind of answers because I think um, people often look for you know the, the expected answer, right? like, oh, this was my mentor, it was an old boss, or it was you know a colleague or whatever. What I like about this is that it's somewhat unexpected. You're talking about someone who shaped the way that you carry yourself and conduct yourself, and that has profound implications on your career, it has profound implications on the friendships you have, et cetera. And it's a surrogate family. And, and I think we, in our lives as, as humans, we, we don't necessarily put the same weight in every relationship or friendship uh, that we do in our, in our romantic relationships or with our, you know, our, our actual families. And this surrogate family is somebody that had a profound impact on how you carry your life. So I think that's a really interesting place to go back to. Um, can you talk to me a little bit more about how you think those those shifts in your manners or your shifts in um, yeah, sure. all of those things, how they, how had you not had that, it might've changed where your career trajectory is. Or even, you know, you think back to the, uh, the story you just told about how you met your wife and then of course remet your wife, how maybe had you not had that butterfly effect, you might not even be in the position you are in right outside of Dubai mm-hmm. with, you know, wife and four kids. Talk to me a little bit about what you think your life could have been like without the impact of this surrogate family. So uh, first of all, I appreciate you asking about that because it's not something I've talked about very often. It just doesn't come up. And, you know, this family, if you look at the state of the U.S. right now and, you know, not to dive too much into politics, but there's kind of a with me or against me mentality. Going to this family's house, not only was the mom raised Catholic, the dad is Native American uh, from Central America, so Indian descent, Hispanic. Not only did they hang out with Native Americans and Hispanics, they, they showed me that color of skin is irrelevant to who you are and prejudice is a waste of time. And so that in of itself is a life lesson that I've taken on. They've taught me never complain when someone gives you food. Something as simple as that. If a guest gives you food, they're like, eat it. Don't complain, swallow it down, drink lots of water. 
If someone cooks you food at their house, you'd be the first one to stand up and offer to clean the dishes. Um, they taught me very basic things that I don't think my parents thought about. And, and, I, and my parents are amazing. I mean, my dad passed away a long time ago, but they're good people with big hearts. But I think they were so bogged down trying to live day to day and pay their bills that and I was the last one by five years. So I think they were kind of just over it at that point um, that without them, the Guzman's, I, I don't know from a manners and interpersonal skills if I'd be the same. But I will comment on this. And this is this is something that I think. If if individuals who listen to this podcast can reflect in a, in a moment of time when someone nudged them in a direction they never thought they could go before. I was at Portland State University at a Peace Corps event. I was thinking about going to the Peace Corps. And after this event, I sat down at a table with five PhDs, five people who are getting their PhDs, all from Africa. And we had the most amazing conversation. And after I got up from that table, I thought, they are no smarter than I am. I could go get a PhD. That drastically impacted me. I, don't, I couldn't tell you any one of their names, couldn't tell you where they're at now, but that moment at that time with those people changed my life forever. That moment put me here in the UAE. What the Guzmans did is they taught me how to be a better human being. And so I used that as my everyday interaction. But that moment at Portland State campus with those four individuals getting their PhD, that was the biggest butterfly effect ever. It's interesting because they both have similar roots though. Because what you learned from the Guzmans was that the color of your skin doesn't change the person that you are. And from the PhDs, that just because you're getting a PhD doesn't mean that you're necessarily smarter than me and I can't do it. So they both are kind of from this realization of a, a, a unity and a sameness of us. Um, and not to say that we're all not unique snowflakes and wonderful people, etc., but more that you recognize that we all have um, – something that connects us and, and that it's just really about decisions about how you choose to see people and how you choose to see yourself. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, I think it's a fair depiction of that. And I also think that it's those moments when people give you confidence when you least expect it because that, that moment at, at PSU, I, I think what people don't really understand about me in whole on the whole is that I have probably, I wouldn't say the lowest self-confidence, but I definitely at that time had very minimal academic self-confidence whatsoever. And talking to four people who I could hold a conversation with about world politics and global events, I thought, shit, like, why can't I? Like what? And that was really the start of me realizing that you can really do whatever the hell you want to do. Like whatever, whatever desire you have, you're your only limiter in life. And I mean, I can't speak, I can't speak more emphatically about how much that impacted me because I would have gone to the Peace Corps and that would have been impactful and huge. And I would be doing something though, totally different than what I'm doing now, for sure. Probably equally as beneficial and helpful to society. So either path I was going was going to have an impact in me, on me. So I think this leads to my next question, which I think this is a really natural segue from that, right? So you had this splintering path in your life where you, you know, you met these people and you decided to get a PhD instead of going to Peace Corps and, and that forever changed your life. And you can kind of look back on that and reflect in, in the same vein of looking back and reflecting and thinking about things that you've learned and people that have impacted you, technologies that have impacted you. If you could go back in time, you know, and without changing things drastically, but rather 
uh, you know, again, looking at that butterfly effect, eliminate that for the time being, but going back and looking and saying, how could I have made my life easier or given myself more self-confidence when I needed it? What's the lesson you would go back and tell yourself earlier in time? If you could go talk to uh, the, an earlier version of you when you were called Jim instead of James, what would you say to yourself that was <laughs> the lesson you wish you could have learned much earlier in life? You know, I, I, again, it's another one of those questions I thought about after listening to your podcast. And it's not so much what I would tell myself, it's what I would tell my parents. Like I would tell my parents, don't be afraid to push me. I think, all, you know, as parents, some parents are type A who totally are in their kid's grill all the time. Great, kudos, it's your kid, do what you got to do. You know, I'm definitely in my kid's grill sometime to push him a little bit harder. But my parents had were really concerned about pushing me too hard academically. And I think that that actually disrupted my ability to gain confidence academically. So I would talk to my parents. But if you want specific to what I would do for myself, if I was to go back again, there's not a doubt that I would approach my my early academics differently. Because I think what people don't understand, well, students that I teach don't understand. I think as adults, we realize this now, um, is that life is a culmination of events. And every phase in your life is one brick that you put into a larger foundation. And with that, many students don't realize that what they do in undergrad impacts what they can do for grad school and what impacts what they can do from grad school to their first job. And not everyone is destined for grad school. Not everyone's destined for this, you know, McKinsey-esque type of job. But, you know, I didn't know that. I didn't get the fact that if I bust my ass now, my life would be much easier later on. Do you think, even if you were to go back and say that to yourself, I think about this sometimes too, because I was like a B student. I basically was like, I'll just get through this. And I just kept going after things I wanted to do. But do you think that anybody can really appreciate that until – they get to that later point in their life where they they can actually understand that idea of the bricks and a foundation because it's like a delayed gratification, right? Like in your 20s, you feel invincible. You know, in your teens, you feel invincible. The world's your oyster and everything's possibility. But the further down the road you get, the less it's about possibility, the more it's about reality and responsibility. Do you think that that's even something that, you know, is actually the, the first time I've ever asked anybody on the show about this. But if you could go back and say that, do you even think somebody at that age in their life would yeah. even – Take that listen. advice or think about it or listen. Yeah. <laughs> My gut says no. Like, well, I, think you're either, <laughs> I, think, I think you're innately driven for academic success or you're not, you know, for whatever reason. Uh, and maybe that's – I'm being a bit harsh about it. But I think your point is valid. There's like a nature you know, and you know, nurture it, to it I think. But, but yeah. yeah. You, know, you know what I would say I would do differently though? Um, this is me being super raw and transparent. I probably would have treated women in college differently. I mean, I was always respectful and kind, but I definitely was um, a bit more of a player-esque. And I think that, that that was due to a larger impact earlier earlier on in my life. So I would have probably, especially the girl I dated in college, who was, was just an amazing woman who I totally disrespected because I was just a dick and a douchebag. Um, but I think that's what I would have changed because I had, I think that I think about that often 
about how I mistreated this particular person and what a good person she was and she didn't deserve that. I think, I think from a relationship standpoint, and I think that would have given me more self-respect as well. And I think that kind of, when you have higher self-respect, you can do better things and you treat people differently. And I'm not saying I was the worst person alive because that's not at all true, but I definitely wasn't the nicest person alive at the same time. But that was maturity. I mean, that's total maturity growing up, learning, making mistakes. Um, yeah. All right. Fair. Well, on a slight pivot, less serious, <laughs> maybe more period. Because yeah, let's well, not let's not go too deep down yeah, that yeah. rabbit hole. You know, but, I ask a death question, as you know, I ask a death question of mine. So I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, look, I mean, uh, I, I think you know my assessment of that before I just pivot to the, the next thing I want to ask you about was just that I, I think that you know my we've had a bunch of conversations, and I think that you have you're an ambitious person that has continually tried to push yourself and progress to become better and all that. And I think that when you look in retrospect and hold yourself to that high standard, ultimately you're going to look back and see things you wish you could have done better that you could have been better for. And, and I, and my, and, and I didn't know you back then, but what I would assume <laughs> is that, um, to your standard of who you want to be in this world, I'm sure you weren't living up to it. And on the grand scale of quote unquote douchebags that are out there, I'm sure that you uh, probably didn't make past uh, a five out of 10. <laughs> that's, that's, I like to think so because I was still likable. I was yeah, still likable. So. That's what I was going to say. Like, I feel like, you know, at least, at least you had the likable thing going. Well, let yeah. me ask you this. Uh, you've got kids and you're, you know, we just went through looking back in the life, right. And seeing what could you have done differently? How did things impact you? Whatever. And you've got kids and you're looking forward into the future. And of course your job as a parent is to guide them and to think about their future so think out into the future. And I want you to tell me what you think the skill of the future is. I mean, you're a PhD, you teach classes, uh, you have a podcast, you talk with tons of guests about all sorts of stuff. Look out into the future and think about what you think the skill of the future is. Yeah, you know, I was, I actually, without even knowing you're, knowing you're going to ask that question, I actually was thinking about that recently from the concepts and, and perspective of uh, artificial intelligence. And what does that do? Right. Like, so how does that start to impact how we interact with machines and other people? Today, I read that I think it's Sony has a patent on a contact lens that takes video and based on the way you blink, it starts it and stops it. And I just keep thinking that, you know, in 30 years, technology will be embedded in us for sure. You know, it's already starting. And so what does that mean for my kids? And what do I have to do for them to be in a position to understand it and be on the forefront? And at the same time, like, sure, I could put them in front of a computer and let them code all day long. And one of my kids for sure would do that. But what does that do for their social and emotional intelligence? So it's finding that balance to where you're pushing them in the right directions or kind of pushing is not the right word, guiding them in the right directions so that they're at the forefront of what's happening. But I, but I, but I do believe that technology and the human beings are, th those lines are slowly starting to come together and eventually many parts of what we do will probably be embedded or on us at all time. I mean, look at it now, watch our phones basically attached to our hand. We tried the glasses already. Those will come back eventually in a different form, whether it's a contact or not. Um, you know, I can't think of anything else, but I mean, uh, there's people working on like mind control technology. I mean, it's all sorts of crazy shit that, 
you know, what's the world going to look like in 2050? Yeah. So, so you're bringing up a bunch of interesting points. So I want to circle back to it. So if we look at what's the most important skill, you brought up a couple things, right? So one, you, you talked about code. So that's a technical skill. But at the same time, you also talked about the other side of that, which is interpersonal skills and social skills that come possibly at the, um, at the detriment of learning all of that code and sitting in front of that computer. And at the same time, you're talking about being prepared for the, for the world of the future. And you listed a bunch of technologies, but is being prepared for the world of the technology to understand the possible positive or negative implications of it is it to learn how to build it. Um, you know, when, when I think about all of these things, when, for instance, when I started in social media, for me, what I found to be the most important thing that I could do was to help provide perspective. So to understand how these things work, how they could work, the positive benefits, the possible liabilities, explain it to my clients and then help guide them in the right direction so that they can do what's best for their business objectives. So that was what I approached that with. What you just brought up is artificial intelligence and embedded and wearable technologies and things like that. And to me, there's a couple different thought processes that you kind of ran through. One is, can you build it? The other is, can you uh, you know use it for, for positive for your career? And then the other is, can you in a world where it has all that still exist and maintain all the things that make us human. So out of, out of those or anything else that you think of from there, which would you say is, is the most uh, accurate kind of uh, uh, analysis of what you were just trying to go through? Uh, so if I, if I understood your question, I, it, it's kind of which one do I think is the most important moving forward? Or which one do I think is going to be most? Yeah. The, which which skill do you think is the most important is, is being a human in spite of all of this or learning how to use it for the, you know, the benefit of your career or being uh, constantly aware of, of the negative drawbacks or, yeah. or how to build it, you know, any of those sort of things. So I think, I think this is going to be flavored with my own personality, but, and science says this is that relationships are, or, or, in essence, the most important thing. So without relationships, we are just a vessel moving through the night. It always makes me think of Wally, <laughs> where the everyone lived on a ship and they all basically just lived in a chair and had food spoon fed to them. And then I also think of the movie by Stephen King, which I cannot remember the name of it top, off the top of my head, but all of the all of the gizmos basically became infected with a virus, whatever it was, and was trying to kill humans. So like I live in this parallel, parallel, parallel universe of I can't wait to be able to do X with technology. And then I then I think, man, someone's going to hack that and put a virus in it and they're all going to kill us eventually. So like I feel like I live in these parallel like this neurotic world of, of like what's going to happen moving forward. But I always got to come back to relationships are always going to be the most important because you need them. You're human. Right. That's what that's what separates us from machines and animal well, animals need relationships, too. OK, separates us from machines, at least. So basically you're saying the skill of the future is survival <laughs> through relationships. Yeah. We just need to survive the machine revolution. Got you. And that is a dark point for us yeah, to, to pause sorry. on that. So let me ask you some rapid yeah. fire questions. Let's move into that. Uh, I think that's a salient point for us to, to pause on and move into the rapid fire. You ready? Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, do you have your phone nearby? Yes. All right, cool. What are the apps in your dock? What was that? What are the apps that are in your dock? The ones that are at the bottom of the screen? Uh, you know, the, the four uh, apps. That's totally lame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, phone, mail, calendar, messages. Oh, God. I'm surprised at the number of people that don't change the default. 
That's amazing to yeah. me. That's a, that's probably the most interesting thing about the ra- this rapid fire question to me out of all of them. All right, next thing. One application, mobile, desktop, web, doesn't matter what it is, but one piece of technology that's like a software or an application that you cannot live without because it's so useful. Probably the podcast app of Apple. Really? I use it nonstop. Just yeah. for listening. All right, well, I'm going to blow your mind real quick. You should check out Overcast FM. Because their podcast app is sweet. All right. I'm putting it in my notes. Yeah, just really you should. It does all sorts of really cool stuff. Like you can change the speed. You can remove pauses in between when people are talking. It'll automatically adjust the volume. It's just a really – it's a kick-ass app. So I'd strongly recommend it. Um, Okay. All social media sites are deleted tomorrow except for one. And I am granting you, James Kelly, formerly Jim Kelly, the ability to save one. Which is the last social media site standing? Well, for me... Yeah, you're ruler in this scenario. You can pick whichever yeah. one you want. Thanks for the permission. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, you know, God, I... I it's F and lay, man, but I would pick Facebook because at least I know what everyone's doing because relationships are so important. Those aren't real relationships, and I get that, but at least I know what people are doing. Wow. All right, then. That's a good answer. I, I, can't, I can't hate on the answer of Facebook as much as I want to. What's, uh, what's one book? I want to, too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. What's, uh, what's one book that every business person should read? So, you know, I got to tell you, I, I wish I read more. Um, so I need to start with that preference and it kills me that I don't, and I have no reason. I mean, the only reason why I don't is because I have four kids and I have basically a job during the day at night. So by the time I go to bed, I'm exhausted. If it gives you any inclination, I actually put a podcast on in my ear to fall asleep. But, um, the book that I really think is important for any entrepreneur to read is E-Myth. And I cannot remember who the hell the author is. I think it's John. But it, it, thank you. Yep. It, it really helps, really helps you get out of your own way. I, you know, I think as an, as an entrepreneur with a small business, you're just so easily distracted by the shiny thing that isn't as important as the strategic initiatives that you need to put in place. So I really think that's an impactful book. All right. Fair. We'll add that. Last question. If you could have any one superpower, what would it be? That's a question my kids would ask me. Uh, <laughs> well, people do say I'm like a big kid. <laughs> I would have the ability <laughs> I would have the ability to suck up everyone else's superpowers that's that's such a like you get three wishes I want a million more wishes so but but given that that was an actual character in the heroes franchise that that there that's, were, where, that's where I thought of it <laughs> so I'll allow that just because there's precedent for it but <laughs> that is totally a I want a million wishes uh, yeah, right. it was a total cop out. Yeah, it kind of was, but I'll allow it. Um, so, James, you were nice enough to come onto the show and uh, spend some time with us, answer all of my questions, and let me poke at you and uh, you know hold your feet to the fire and, and go down some really personal um, parts of your life. So, I want to give you this time right now to promote anything that you're working on. Let people know where they can find you. Let them know how they can get involved, how they can support you, or really anything else that you want to talk about right now. I'm handing the show over to you just to talk about whatever you feel like right now. So, thanks a lot. I mean, I have, um, like all of us, I think a lot of things going on. So, 
I'm fortunate, similar to you, to be on the C-Suite network, um, specifically C-Suite Radio. So please check that out. I'm also on Transformation Radio, uh, more specifically the Conscious Business Network there. And um, what else? I got a book that hopefully will be out in the fall or there just after, which I'm pretty excited about. Uh, if you're in the Dubai area, give me a ring. Happy to talk to you. Uh, if you're listening to this in the Dubai area and you're in health and wellness from a corporate perspe- perspective, please look up braveendurance.com. And uh, that's about it, man. My life is is pretty, pretty, pretty good, really. Well, it sounds not pretty awesome. Anything. I'm promoting my life. I'm promoting my life. My, <laughs> if, my life if you want good. to learn more about my life, listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on as – as is every time we've talked, the conversation is fantastic, naturally flowing and wonderful. So thanks again for coming on and letting me pick your brain. And for all of you out there listening, uh, if you like this episode, definitely share it because the name of the show is Jim fill in the blank. Shareables. There it is. See you next time, everyone. Thanks, Jeff. That was so much fun. I can't even believe the guests that we get. I mean, can you believe the guests that we get? I can, actually. I schedule them. Awesome. Well done. Well, this episode for me was an absolute blast, and I hope everyone listening really enjoyed it. But now that we're in this fun little outro, what should people do next? Hmm. I think they should check us out on iTunes. Definitely go check us out on iTunes. And when you get there, subscribe, drop us a review, and then what's that one last thing we want them to do? share the episode oh that's right that's right it's in the name so please share this episode tell everyone you know and we'll see you on the next episode of shareable bye